You know, I remember as a teenager, and I've shared this before, the youth are probably sick of me saying this, um, I could not give a rip about Jesus as a kid, as a middle schooler. I was a pastor's kid. Basically, anytime the church doors were open, I was there. And um, I didn't have the option to go to church. My parents were like, if the doors are open, you're going, whether you like it or not. And, uh, and so I was that kid that would sit all the way in the back and try to sneak out of church. Don't do it, all right? Um, and I just, I just was like, this God thing, it's, it's, it's cool for some people. It's just not for me. And it seemed like everything else, everything the culture was telling me and everything that was pushed by my friends at school seemed so much more interesting than pursuing Jesus and so I pretty much made the decision, hey, I'll follow God when I'm old and gray and I've had all my fun. Now, in the middle of all this, I didn't realize it because as a middle schooler, you really don't pay attention to anything except uh, food and Axe body spray when you smell really, really bad. And so I didn't realize at the time, but my youth pastor who just got back from Bible school was very broken over what was happening in our youth ministry. Many of my friends and many of the kids I grew up in the church just had no appetite, no hunger for God. And so he started to pray and to fast and seek God for a movement in our youth ministry. At the same time, our senior leadership was, this is in the early 90s, was, was being deeply impacted by two movements, which you might be familiar with, either the Toronto Blessing in Canada or the Brownsville Revival in Florida. And there was so much movement happening in the world around the Holy Spirit and what God wanted to do in the church. And, and they were seeing these miraculous signs and wonders. And all this kind of came to a head for me in 1999. And I remember I was sitting at a youth event that I didn't want to go to that my parents forced me to show up to. I was sitting all the way in the back, basically hiding in the darkness, not talking to anyone and I remember as the evangelist who spoke came up to speak, his words were so gripping and the power of God was so strong that no matter how much I wanted to ignore it, I could not run, avoid, escape the presence of God. I felt this. It almost was like he had a fishing line and a hook and it had hooked my heart and no matter what, how hard I tried or struggled, God would have his way in my life. And I remember as he gave that call to come to the altar, everything inside of me said, stay in your seat, don't move. But I felt literally the presence of God pushing me out of my, out of my chair in the back of the room. I came down to this altar. I was on my knees. I was weeping, and I said, God, you can have my life. Over the next four years, I realized what a special movement visitation we experienced as a church I remember we had evangelists come into our church, and uh, he was only supposed to stay for a few services, a Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night. And the, the, the glory of God and, and the power of God and the tangible awareness that God was in the room, similar to what we experienced this morning, was so all-encompassing and so moving that was meant to be a three-day meeting turned into three weeks. As our church showed up Monday night and Tuesday night and Wednesday night and Thursday night and Friday night and Saturday night. And as people in the city heard of what God was doing in our church and what was happening, 
the, the attendance got bigger. I, I don't know if you know this from a church strategy perspective, but if you want people to come to church, don't schedule a meeting during the week. But it did not matter what we did, more and more people would come. I remember one night I was sitting there, and this is at the point where I was still trying to figure out this God thing, and I was kind of bored, so I looked around the room, counted the ceiling tiles, you know, whatever I could do to get through the service. And I remember seeing the fire department come into the church, and I was like, oh, cool, something's happening. Maybe something's going to be burning on fire, and I'll get to see it. This is the mind of a middle school kid, just so you guys understand. Well, they weren't there for a fire. There, there was actually so many people in the building that we had broken fire code, and so they were telling people they had to leave. This did not deter anyone from coming to our church. I remember they would set up chairs outside of the building with speakers as thousands of people sat in the auditorium and hundreds of people crammed outside the doors to sense and be a part of what God is doing. I remember over the next few years, as God started moving in our youth ministry, and man, it's my deepest desire to see God move among young people again. I remember our youth ministry would get together for three or four hours on a Friday night. No gimmicks, no pizza, no Playstations. We were there and we were hungry for God as we prayed and we worshiped and we cried out to encounter Jesus. And I remember as our youth ministry and our church did this play called Beyond the Grave. This was during the Columbine High School shootings. And um, we reenacted that, that moment, that scene in history, and we kind of portrayed what would happen to people when they died. Would they spend eternity with God or apart from him? And it was only supposed to be a two-day performance over Halloween weekends. But so many young people started coming to God that what was supposed to be two days ended up being multiple years every Friday night. And I remember our auditorium being full of teenagers and, and college students that were broken and messed up, brought by friends. And as the call was given to come and respond to Jesus, I remember the altars being flooded with these people that had no history with God or church, so desperate to be moved by Jesus. When you experience something like that, you will never be satisfied for ordinary Christianity. When you experience God move in a way like that, it marks you, it shapes you, and it changes you where you can no longer settle for anything less than all that God has for you. Over the next two weeks, we're going to be talking about this idea of revival. We phrased it, do it again, because inside my heart and inside Pastor Jerry's heart and our leadership is we are not interested in going through the motions. We need a move of God. And so Habakkuk... Habakkuk here in, in chapter 3 has come to a point in his life where he can no longer stomach what he's seeing in his culture and in his time. There's a desperation in him for more of God. Revival always happens when people get desperate for it. And what revival is, if you're new for church or unfamiliar with this idea or this language, revival is when God comes in such power that there's no denying that he's in the room. Revive comes from that word, to live again, to breathe again, to move again. And so in like a sense, it's like spiritual defibrillators where God comes in. <sighs> yeah, 
and brings to life that which has flat lines. We need God to do it again. We need God to move in power. And, and so when we talk about revival, here's what I'm contending for. And, and here's what I believe my assignment is this morning, is to prepare the ground of your heart to believe with me that God will do again what he did before. And here's what I believe revival is. Revival is when the primary culture in heaven becomes the primary culture in a place in a space on earth. Think about what's going on in heaven right now and imagine if God interrupted this service like he did this morning, not just once, but there was a continued reality of God's glory in this place where we couldn't, sh we couldn't shut it down, we couldn't kick you out, you wouldn't leave, you'd buy a tent and you'd live here because you're desperate for more of God. This is what God does when he shows up. And so hopefully you're asking the question just like I am, what does it take for God to move like that again. In one sense, there's nothing we can do. Revival is a sovereign move of God. But in another sense, there's so many things we can do to move God's heart for what he's storing up to pour out. We can move God's heart in such a way that he says, no longer can I withhold my glory and my presence and my might. The people are crying for me to come and so I'm coming. So what does it take? As I've studied revival historically, it, it really kind of starts in three specific ways. That when you study historically, when revival comes, usually there is some circumstances that have to take place to prepare people for what God wants to do. And my hope this morning is that you would be prepared in your heart to pay the price, to count the cost, and to go after God until he comes again like he did before. The first thing that I've seen in history that happens before a move of God comes are desperate circumstances. That's good news for us because we are in a pretty desperate place as a culture and a society. You know, Habakkuk in, in, in chapter 1 and 2 is so moved by the brokenness in his culture. Israel is meant to be this set-apart light to the nations around them. But as they usually do, they have compromised and they have taken on the culture and the worship practices of those around them. And so Habakkuk prays this in the New Living Translation of the same passage we've read before. In this time of our deep need, help us again. There's, there's a cry in Habakkuk that he can no longer remain unfazed by the brokenness around him. I imagine there was a time in his life where he saw the people around him abandoning God and worshiping other people, and he threw his hands up in the air and said, well, God, I guess it's just the way it is. I guess I'm just one of the few people that will stay faithful to you. I guess this is just church as normal. I guess this is just the way things are. But Habakkuk gets to a point in his life where he is so gripped and he is so burdened by the brokenness around him that he can no longer remain unfazed by what he sees. 
God is trying to, I believe in this time in history, trying to get us as the people of God to a point to where we are no longer satisfied with seeing the brokenness around us and being okay with sitting in our church and having nice services that we realize there's got to be more than this. There's got to be more God can do, and we contend and we believe for it. And so God allows things to get bad to move people's hearts. Um, I remember there was this, uh, this cartoon. My mom used to let me watch. It was before my time a little bit. Popeye the Sailor Man. It was the only way I could, uh, she could get me to eat spinach. I hated vegetables, and so she'd show me these cartoons of Popeye with his unproportionately gigantic forearms eating the spinach and getting super strong and punching and knocking the lights out of everybody. And typically what had happened in an episode is that olive oil would be bullied, taken, messed up by Brutus, if you remember this. And Popeye would watch feeling helpless and then he would make this statement, that's all I can stands. I can't stands no more. Perfect English right there, right? That's all I can stands. I can stands no more. And he would find that can of spinach and he would eat it. And regular Popeye would come, become super Popeye and he would just beat the ever-living daylights out of Brutus and rescue olive oil. Listen, this morning I believe that there is a calling of God and a, a passion inside of people that says, I can't stands it. I can't stands it no more. There's no more. This is the way it has to be. There's a hunger and a desperation in people. God, you have to come. I believe God is creating in us a holy dissatisfaction that we will not settle or rest for the way things are, but that God will stir us to a point to where we say, God, you need to come again in our time of need. Help us again as you did years gone by. Revival starts in places where people are no longer content to live without it. When we've tried all our methods, we've tried all our plans, we've tried all our ways, we've done what we know to do, and it's not working, God is saying, okay, whenever you're ready for me to come, let me know. And when we exhaust all our efforts and all our human wisdom and all our human strength and all our political plans and all our economic schemes, and we realize that the only true answer to the deep need in our city and our culture is God, then it moves us to that second stage, to hungry people. If you study historic revival, there's two moments in history that deeply grip me. The first one is the Azusa Street Revival that happened in the early 1900s. And if you study it, this, this, um, this undereducated African-American man named William Seymour with one blind eye was so hungry for God that he moved from city to city to city. Anywhere he sensed God was moving, anywhere he sensed God was working because he had to have more of God. At that time, 
in American history and within Christianity, the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit and His presence was a controversial topic, and most people avoided or didn't talk about it. But when William Seymour heard of what the Holy Spirit does, when someone is consumed by Him, he could not be satisfied any longer. And it says this, he writes this in his journal, such a hunger to have more of God was in my heart that I prayed for five hours a day for two and a half years. Anybody else in here praying five hours a day? (laughs) If you are, please hit me up after this and help me. Evan Roberts, the leader of the Welsh revival who saw literally a country turn upside down. I would encourage you to study these movements of what God did. It, it, it changed the entire country. When Evan Roberts would come into a city and preach, the conviction and power of God would be so strong that the city would shut down. The power of God became so overwhelming that crime literally stopped in cities and police officers no longer had jobs. So they became singing quartets that would go through the revival and sing hymns about Jesus. There's stories of coal miners who were miles away from the services And they said that the awareness and the presence of God filled not only a meeting or a church building, but an entire city. And miles away, it says, as they came up from under the mines, faces covered in soot from their work, you could see the tears streaming down their face as they were feeling the love and conviction of God miles away with no one preaching to them. Evan Roberts prayed for revival for 13 years before he preached a sermon. He cried out to God to encounter the Holy Spirit in power. And what God did in response moves me deeply. God would start waking him up at 1 a.m. in the morning with such power and such fervency that that he would pray from 1 to 5 a.m., four hours in the presence of God as God would download and give him visions and dreams of what he wanted to do in the country of Wells, England. What does it look like to be hungry? What does it look like to be desperate? What does it look like when God shows up and starts moving? Well, I can tell you a story that's not going to seem very spiritual right now, but I promise you it has a powerful meaning. So a few years ago when we were living in Orlando, before we had kids and I could eat whatever I wanted and life was glorious, one night, I, um, I had this craving, and this has probably happened to you at some point in your life, where there's something you imagine eating that will just change everything. For me, that night, it was a Krispy Kreme donut. It was around 7 p.m. at night, and I just couldn't get out of my mind. I tried to ignore it. I tried to put it off, and for whatever reason, it was just calling to me, you know? And so I looked at Christina. I said, Christina... Let's go get a Krispy Kreme donut. She said, uh, no, those are gross. I'm not eating them. Clearly, God is still helping my wife understand the full glory of who Jesus is. You know what I mean? And uh, so I said, fine, you don't have to have it, but I am getting a donut. So I got in my car. The restaurant closed, I think, at like 8 p.m. I drove to the Krispy Kreme. That was about 15 minutes away from my house. So excited. So ready. So hungry. Only to find... That not only was the hot now sign not on, 
Which, listen, a Krispy Kreme regular donut, it's okay. A hot Krispy Kreme donut will change your life for forever. <laughs> but at this point, I was so hungry, I didn't care. I just had to have one. I'd heat up in the microwave for, for all that mattered. I just had to get one. But not only was not the hot now sign on, the restaurant was closed. A normal man would take this as a sign, it's not the night to get donuts. I was not that man. There was another Krispy Kreme about 15 minutes away, and I decided, I still have time, let's try this again. So I got in my car, I drove to the other Krispy Kreme donut, and clearly there was some spiritual warfare happening in Orlando at that time, because when I drove up to the restaurants, the sign was also off, and the restaurant was also closed. The struggle is real, am I right? I had this dilemma, right? What do I do? Should I take this as a sign from God that I need to lose some weight and not eat any more donuts? A lot of logical thoughts went through my head at this point. You already look like an idiot. Just take your L and go home, bro. Like, just quit. But there was a hunger in me that could not be denied. There was a Krispy Kreme 30 minutes away, and if I sped just fast enough, I would get there before the restaurant closed. And so I got in my Nissan Altima, and I gunned it, baby. I put the pedal to the metal, and I drove for the promised land. And guys, when I pulled into that restaurant, not only was it open, but the hot now sign was on. Come on, somebody. I felt the glory so good. I didn't buy one donut. I bought a dozen donuts, and I had revival right there in my car. Guys, when you are hungry enough, you will not be denied. When you are passionate enough, nothing can stop you. Listen, we got to get to the point where we stop playing church, where we stop going through the motions, where we stop saying, okay, God, I'm fine with another Sunday. And we get to the point where we say, God, I have to have more. I have to have more of you. There's a hunger that God is putting in his people. There's a hunger that God is trying to put in us where we are no longer satisfied with the way things are. Desperate circumstances, hungry people, and the last thing is expectant prayer. No great revival has ever happened until people prayed. You know, in Scripture, if you study the life of Jesus, he interacted with a lot of people, but he was amazed by two things. He was amazed by hunger and desperation, and he was amazed by faith. There was people that, that moved God in such a way where he did what he was no longer planning to do because of the way they approached God. And when Habakkuk prays this prayer in, in chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, he's done praying nice little prayers, hoping maybe God will answer them. He's come to a point where he says, God, I will no longer be denied. I will no longer set to the side and wait for you to come. I'm going to contend in the place of prayer until you show up and move. He says, God, I'm stopped in my tracks down on my knees. 
Do among us what you did among them. Work among us as you worked among them. Habakkuk can no longer be satisfied with hearing the stories of revival. He had heard the stories of what God did in Egypt through Moses and through Abraham and through Noah and throughout Joshua and David in history. But Habakkuk comes to a point where he says, God, it's great what you did before, but God, I'm not living on a memory. I want to live in a moment today. It has to be now, God. And there's a powerful, powerful truth. That God comes to the measure that we want him. The reason we had a visitation this morning is because we didn't settle without it. We were no longer willing to go through the motions. We were hungry for more of God. I believe what God's going to do in this next generation is going to primarily to raise up young people like teenagers, kids, and college students that get so desperate and so hungry for God that they will stay up all night and seek God for their campus. I believe there's a movement of God where older people within that have had memories of revival will get down on their knees and say, God, I remember what you did in the Jesus movement. God, we need another Jesus movement. I believe there's coming a day where people will get so desperate that they'll stop praying nice little prayers and start saying, God, come, and we believe it, you're going to move. And when we get to this point, to where we are no longer satisfied without God's coming, without his intervention, without his movement, then he will come and he will move. Do it again, Lord, in our day. You know, when when your heart comes alive in Jesus, and when your passion for God is is overwhelming. No one has to convince you to seek the Lord. No one has to convince you to go after God. No one has to bait you or hook you. When you encounter God, and as Revelation says, Jesus with eyes like fire, when he looks at you and you encounter him, you are set ablaze with passion for God that no one can put out. And I want to speak to some of the people in here That the longer you are in the church, sometimes this can actually be a place that puts out your fire, unfortunately, if you aren't going after wholehearted commitment and devotion to Jesus. When we have not made the decision to say, God, I'm coming after you with everything I got, sometimes the very religious activity that we do can drown out our fire and create apathy and complacency in us. But listen to me. The Bible says in Hebrews that God is a consuming fire. When we come to God with all our heart, soul, mind, strength, we come to God and say, God, I remember when I used to burn for you. Make it happen again in me. God comes in power and sets you ablaze again. Is there anyone in here who's hungry for God? I've given my life to this, and I'm so thankful that that God has been faithful in my life. But guys, I will not rest until I see God move again. I can't be satisfied with church as normal. Yes, God always 
does good things. Yes, people are always getting saved. Yes, people are growing in their faith. But what I'm talking about and what I'm after is so powerful and so overwhelming that it shifts a city overnight. When Evan Roberts cried out to God in his bedroom at 1 a.m., he asked God this. He said, God, would you give me 100,000 souls in Welsh, England? Young people were not in the church at this point. People had a form of religion but did not know the power of God. They were, they were Christians in name only. And he prayed in his room for 13 years, God, would you come in power again and save a nation? Do you know that in the Welsh revival, there is estimated over 100,000 people that came to Christ? The prayers of one man in a bedroom changed the nation. What could God do if we prayed again, I want to close with this story, and then I feel like there's a moment for us to respond to Jesus this morning. There's a man named Gypsy Smith, who is a powerful evangelist used by God in the early 1900s. He traveled from the Atlantic, uh, across the Atlantic from England to America over 45 times, and everywhere he went, the fires of revival spread. He saw... He preached to over a million people, saw signs, wonders, miracles, everywhere. Wherever he went, God moved, people were saved, lights were set on fire for Jesus. And there was these young people, and I keep referencing that because we have the youth and the young adults in this room this morning, and I'm talking to some of you guys this morning that there's a hunger that God's calling some of you guys into in Jesus' name. And these young people... These revival seekers came to Gypsy Smith asking, how can we be used the way that you are used by God? And I love his response. He says, go home. Lock the door. Get down on your knees and draw a circle of chalk around you. And stay in that circle and cry out to God to bring revival there. My God, when my people pray, when my people pray, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. If my people pray, can anyone else sense what God is doing in the earth right now? This is a time in history that is ripe and desperate for a move of God. And I believe even this morning, there's a scripture I love. It says, the eyes of the Lord look throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully his. I believe that in this service this morning, God is looking and searching in a room like this. Who will give their heart for what I want to do in the world? Who will give their life for my mission, for my purpose, so I can come again and do again what I did before? Guys, I love what happened this morning, but I am not interested in just a visitation from God. I need a habitation. 
I need God to come and to stay. And listen, when you get to a point in your life where you can no longer be denied, you are so desperate for God to move, then God will set your life on fire for revival. That Jesus, I have to have.